welcome. Welcome to the first episode proper of the new and improved Lion's King podcast. I am Keo Alexander, and I'm here to talk about my collection of books and the strange things that they talk about. Now, since this is my first episode of my new literary Lion's King, I'm going to talk about one of my personal favorites, The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, in particular, The Fellowship of the Ring. I first read this book in high school, and as a loner type who was chronically ill, Tolkien's magical world helped a lot. Later in life, it played a role in keeping me in the church when, judging my circumstances, my faith should have been reduced to a skeleton on the side of the road. Obviously, it meant a lot to me, but I understand if it does not do a thing for you. Either you're into it, or you aren't. You either find great peace in the strange way it's written, or it annoys you to such an extent that you cannot read it. Either one's fine. But, ask someone, hey, what is Lord of the Rings about? They would probably say rings. But then they'd say it's a weirdly written book. People go on a long adventure. There's monsters, there's dark lords, magical beings, and the main characters are all three feet tall. Which is all correct. Maybe someone will say themes of good and evil. Older fans may say ecology and saving the trees. And maybe someone will mention themes of paganism and Christianity. All also true. In case some of my listeners don't know, The Lord of the Rings is about a three-foot-tall hobbit, a dwarf-like creature derived from Northern English folklore, named Frodo, inheriting a ring that contains the soul of the Dark Lord Sauron, Satan's right-hand man, and he sets out with three friends, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, to destroy it. Hijinks ensue. However, there are three chapters in The Lord of the Rings that cover the majority, if not the entirety, of the book's themes, thoughts, and feelings. They throw a complete fantasy adventure of the beginning, a hero's journey, rising action, compelling villains, horrific imagery, friends met on the way, and an insane setting. These chapters are the subject of today's episode. They are in the Fellowship of the Ring, and are Chapter 6, The Old Forest, Chapter 7, In the House of Tom Bombadil, and Chapter 8, Fog on the Barrow Downs. This is otherwise known as the Tom Bombadil part. This is the most controversial set of chapters in the book, the one that divides the fans, the one that Tolkien himself had to explain to multiple people. This one makes all readers stop and say, what am I reading? This part is cut out of almost every adaptation from book to film, at least I haven't seen one, because it's a weird story and, story-wise, it's easy to remove. However, it does serve a crucial part for the book, its writing style, and serves as Tolkien's thesis statement. Now, to set the scene. The hobbits have set out on their adventure. They decide to take a shortcut through a magical ancient forest, and they end up smack in the middle of a blood feud between a magic man who speaks in rhymes and an evil tree. This forest, simply the old forest, is alive. The trees move and talk to each other and hate people and the worst of the lot is a tree by the name of Old Man Willow. He sends out magic into the forest through branches, tendrils, and roots, making the forest paths subtly guide travelers to him, where he lulls them to sleep, then kills them. Of course, this is what happens to our heroes, Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin. The reason Old Man Willow is so angry is that he's a very old tree. He remembers when everything was trees. He remembers when people, including hobbits, came and chopped down the trees. But, just as he's about to 
end our adventure forever, Tom Bombadil, a mysterious man who sings magical songs, appears. He sings the correct song that controls Old Man Willow, saves the hobbits, and takes them to his house to rest. There they meet with his wife Goldberry. Tom teaches them a rhyme to say if they need help, and feeds them as they recover from being attacked by a tree. He then escorts them to the borders of his country, where ancient kings are buried in haunted tombs. To no surprise, the hobbits end up attacked by one of these kings and trapped in one of his tombs. But just in time, Frodo says Tom's rhyme, and Tom breaks into the tomb, saves the day, and casts the undead into hell. Thus, the hobbits are able to continue on their journey. This part of the book is such a jarring part because it constitutes an enormous shift in tone. It is, as Joe Campbell calls it, the crossing of the threshold, going from the regular world into a realm of magic, spirits, and quests. The preceding chapters are much more like The Hobbit, a children's book. This forest is largely the moment where the Lord of the Rings ceases any pretenses of being a whimsical adventure and fully embraces its identity as dark horror fantasy. The horror was building before this, with talks of far-off evil and a harrowing chase scene, but nothing quite changes the tone like a murderous mind-controlling tree. And the word that describes this new tone is mystery. It's finely crafted. The whole adventure is Mary's idea as he grew up on the border of the forest and thinks he knows the way, which he does, until the forest changes on him. After that, it's all up in the air. It's not completely illogical, in fact, it's very logical. It's just that the plants stop behaving like plants and start acting predatory. And on this note, Tolkien may have made a crazy, fanciful statement that we're now discovering to be true. Probably because he was a medievalist, and the medievals knew what was up, especially about trees. There are a lot of scientists today that are studying the intelligence of plants, and some experiments are showing that trees can communicate and nourish each other. In one instance, a 500-year-old stump in Germany is still alive because the trees around it are still supporting it. It's cool, especially for someone like me who likes trees. It's still being debated by scientists, but you know, that's what scientists do. Now, on to the story. Here we get to a part where the majority of readers check out. Tom Bombadil and his magic songs. Lord of the Rings is a musical. You need to prepare for that if you're going to read it. However, the magic songs that Tom sings are written in the style of lilting, which is singing in nonsense words. The English folk tradition, and the American folk tradition for that matter, is very full of it, probably because they are one and the same. A good example is the beginning of the classic rhyme, Hey Diddle Diddle, The Cat and the Fiddle. Tolkien liked his English folk music, so do I. It is music for those with distinguished taste. Tom Bombadil is the most powerful character seen in the book, and his power manifests in these silly songs. That's important to the statement Tolkien is trying to make. Tom is said to be the first, the oldest, and the master. That is the extent of what is said about him, which is weird, given that Tolkien wrote out family trees for his other characters. However, that first bit, it's a fourth wall-breaking joke because Tom Bombadil and friends one of Tolkien's previous creations. He first appeared in a poem in 1934, aptly titled The Adventures of Tom Bombadil. The Hobbit was published in 1937. Tolkien was really working with pre-Christian mythology, delving into the paganism of days gone by, 
and he very much kept that strain going when he brought Tom and company into the production of the ring. It was the artistic medium that he chose to work with. This is clear throughout this series of chapters, but it's clearest with Tom's wife, a being known as Goldberry. Known as River Woman's daughter, she is a classic water spirit, a living personification of a body of water, in her case, the river with the windle. This is a very common creature in most cultures, as water tends to be important. Usually, river spirits have a bit of an edge about them, as water will drown you. In fact, in her first appearance, Goldberry playfully, maybe, pulls Tom into her river by his beard, and that's how their love story begins. Rather dark. But how is the river spirit supposed to convey her feelings? You tell me. When we see Goldberry in Lord of the Rings, she's portrayed as a beautiful young woman with yellow hair. She can sing and make people think of rivers and rain, and I would wager she can make you think of a glass of water if she wanted to. Tolkien says that he, she represents the seasons. Her final scene is a common scene in mythology, the woman's admonition to the heroes to stay on course. In Norse sagas, it was seen as the men's job to do the fighting, but the woman's job to guide the fighting, keeping tabs on what needed to be done and who needed to be killed. She tells the hobbits to stick to their plan. It is also notable that this is done from a hilltop overlooking her river, and the reality around her takes on a shiny look like sunlight on water. Now, in contrast, Tom is a mysterious fellow. He has no origin. He's just as powerful and a very benevolent being. He looks like a man, wears big yellow boots and a hat with a feather in it, and runs about the forest making paths in the forest. He makes the original paths before the trees shift them. The notion of a nature god comes to mind. Tolkien says that he represents the wild countryside that he watched get industrialized over his lifetime. In the real world, Tom is based on one of Tolkien's son's toys. This was a recurrent inspiration for the man, as he also wrote a very neat short story about his son's toy dog. There are divine aspects to Tom that make some say he is God, because Tom is described as he is. Tolkien says this is not the case, and is quite vocal about it, but to be fair, he should have seen that one coming. Tom is a mystery meant to be unexplained. He has godlike power, but has evidently taken a vow of poverty and lives as a hermit with his wife guarding a particularly unruly patch of forest. In this sense, Tom fits perfectly into the notions of humility, homeliness, and contentedness that make up the core tenets of Tolkien's heroes. They just want to stay home and do good, and reject the desire of power. Tom is a god, little g, that adopts Tolkien's life philosophy. Tolkien was a self-admitted anarchist and penned many stories poking fun at those who clutched on the bureaucratic power and were destroyed by it. According to him, true power is derived from God. I second that one. And here's the genius of him leaving Tom open-ended. If you try to classify him, grasp that power, it's impossible to know, and Tom makes a fool of you. Just like his power manifesting in silly rhymes like yaddle-deedle-dub, Tom is an admonition to humility and kindness. In opposition to that, there is the next baddie in line, the ghost. Actually a creature called a Barrow White. He is straight out of Old Norse mythology. A barrow is a sort of tomb, usually a hollowed out hill or tunnel, where a king and his pile of treasure were buried. Archaeologists love them. Ancient men love them too, both for the same reason. There's a lot of good loot in there. So, the old tales go, 
Many kings spent their afterlives holed up in their tombs as whites, guarding their treasure as an undead thing. There are parts of the poem Beowulf that hint at this being Beowulf's ultimate fate. The lesson here is this. Don't mess with a dead man's gold because he may still be in there. We have been told things general outlook on politicians and foolishly grasping onto power. A long-dead king mindlessly guarding a pile of treasure he can never use is a ready-made image. Those stories feature the past coming back to admonish the present. Whether it be Hamlet's father calling for vengeance, or Samuel informing Saul that he has finished his king, ghost stories tend to take this form. In Tolkien's ghost story, we see the ultimate end of power. Now within Tolkien's world, this particular white may not actually be a ghost, but is an evil spirit pretending to be the ghost of a king who fell in battle against the servants of the Dark Lord, in particular the army of the Dark Lord's greatest servant, the Witch King of Angmar. So this white, who is himself a servant of the Witch King, is a desecration and a dishonor to the chivalry and might of this old king, who was a hero in life. Again, a reward for the pursuit of riches and power. This ambiguity is grand, as the word white, spelled W-I-G-H-T, means spirit, entity, and person in Anglo-Saxon. You're a white. I'm a white. The weird shadow you saw down the hall once, she was a white too. It's Shakespeare's answer to what a ghost is. A ghost is a person without a body, and a person is a ghost with a body. Very English. But Burrow White is a bit more proactive than most ghosts. He magically kidnaps all four of the hobbits, making them walk up to his barrow and then puts them into a deep sleep. Frodo wakes up just in time to see the white about to kill the lot of them with a sword. Here is one of the more evocative moments of the entire series for me that has stuck around since I first read the books. Kind of gave me a nightmare. In fact, the first night I read it, the white's description focuses on his pale, glowing white arm and hand reaching out of the darkness, grasping the sword. Turn out the lights and stare at the door and think about that. Makes the skin crawl. At least it makes my skin crawl. But granted, I am a grown adult who is afraid of the dark and doesn't like ghosts all that much. It is aided by what the white says. He too talks in rhymes, but instead of idyllic merriment, he whispers very dark and angsty things. Cold bone, the moon being dead, sleeping and ever waking, that sort of thing. Frodo knows what to do, though. He sings the song Tom taught him. Tom arrives as he is the master. Tom breaks open the tomb and washes the white in sunlight, banishing him into the outer darkness that serves as the abyss in Tolkien's world. This is a magical power that is very rare in Middle-earth. The only other characters shown to be able to do it are the gods. But it also is a striking image of truth overpowering darkness. With this, the rest of the hobbits awaken from their sleep, and in one of the more soul-grabbing quote, quotes from the Lord of the Rings, Merry wakes up musing about leading men into an ambush and getting a spear in his heart. He wakes up with the king's memories of the day he fell in battle. Now this goes all the way forward into Return of the King, because Merry gets a cool bit of treasure from the barrel, one of the king's swords. And who does he help kill with that sword? The Witch King of Angmar. It's a very poetic ghost story, as Merry was able to avenge the wronged prince. But that's very far away. Tom finishes his part in the story by protecting the hobbits on their way, making sure to guide them past all the other barrows that the country is full of. Then, when he reaches the border, he turns around because he doesn't leave his country. 
He's a very salt-of-the-earth right person, and makes the world a better place by focusing on what is within reach. So what do we make of all this? Other than a tale that really has merit to a standalone short story, it's a fantastic combination of all the stuff Tolkien was into. His mythology, his forests, his religion, and all succinctly spun together into a trio of chapters. Most importantly, all hangs over the theme of overwhelming power, of good, and doing good in the world. Even though the forest and tomb is dark, the trees are eating people, and the good is desecrated by ghosts, there is always a chance that things will turn around in an instant. For that reason, it's important not to despair. This is the ultimate theme of Lord of the Rings and all of Tolkien's works, and why this chapter is, as I say, the Lord of the Rings thesis statement. Well, that's the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want more Lionskin podcast, follow us on Instagram or follow us. Follow me, because there's only one person who is the Lionskin podcast, Q Alexander, and that's me. Well, follow me on Instagram at Lionskin Podcast. That's all there is. You will find my beautiful profile picture, which is actually a panther. Follow me there for updates on upcoming work and new episodes, which will be announced there. There will be a new one every Friday. Thank you, and have a great night.